Let's begin with a, with a, a thought that you probably are familiar with, but I think we get it wrong. And that's defining moments. Because I, I think we kind of look at defining moments, it's like something that happens to us, okay? But moments do not define us. We define the moments. Didn't get a lot of amen, so I think you need me to take you somewhere with this and get you, help, help you understand what I'm talking about here. It's because when things happen to us, a lot of people say, well, you know, that's who it is. Like you, get, you have some tragedy, and now from that point on, you are the person with the tragedy. That, that's, that's not the way this is supposed to be. And now, yeah, if you give up, okay, yeah, of course. Yep, you've given up, you've, you've walked away, okay, right. That's not what a defining moment is supposed to be. A defining moment is, isn't that it, but it's our response to the defining moment. Whether you give up or you start growing through it. You know, whether you retreat or you start pushing forward to take more ground. When someone does you wrong, if you respond with anger or you respond with a calm resolve, if you want vengeance or you're a person with grace and you respond with grace. You see, it's not, it's not the moment that defines you. You get to define the moment. Last night, I was, I was kind of good looking for one little hook to kind of help explain, because I knew some of you in your spirit, you'd be arguing with me, saying, no, man, it's defined me, and, you know, and I'll never be, this is all I'll be, and whatever. And I, was, I Googled, and I was just looking for some things, and, and, and I saw some, I saw three men's names that came up in a list. Do you know what Henry Ford, Walt Disney, and uh, Donald Trump have in common? You know? I tell you what, what they had in common? All of them went bankrupt before they made it. Okay, now think about that. Henry Ford went bankrupt. And to a lot of people, they can say that's a defining moment. But it wasn't that moment that defined him because when you hear the word Ford, you think about this huge auto industry that's out here. All these cars riding up and down the road with Ford on them. I mean, that's what you think of. When you think of Walt Disney, what do you think of? I mean, you know, we, we have to sing the Babies on the Boat song, you know. Uh, that, that's the one, you know, that goes, it's a small world after all, you know. I'm sorry, some of you have that on your mind for the rest of the day now, and you'll be singing that, right? That's what, we don't think about him going through bankruptcy. I mean, really, maybe you knew that story, but how many times have you thought about Walt Disney in bankruptcy? You hear Disney, and you think about this, um, this amazing time that you have, or, or, or all, all the the movies, the videos, and all these things. TV, that's what you think of. And Donald Trump, now listen, regardless of what you think about him, whether he's your candidate or not, and this is not a commercial for or against him, regardless of how you feel about him, when you hear his name, you don't think bankruptcy. You think of a guy who has made it, writes checks for whatever he wants to write for. He's, he, he's made it. He's successful. You know, these guys... They did not let a moment define them. They defined the moment as a new beginning. They chose this to be something that would spur them to something else. See, so, some people, I think they get this attitude that, well, if God allowed me to be knocked down on my rear end, God must want me on my rear end. No, God doesn't allow you to get knocked down your rear end so you can stay there. God allows us sometimes to get knocked down on our rear end so we learn what it's like to have the resolve to get back up. 
Because there's another giant to face out there. There's another battle. There's, a, there's another problem. There, there's a whole world of people out there in your communities that you work with, that you live with, that need, that need to know of the power to get back up off their rear end when they get knocked down. That, those things aren't defining you unless you allow them. Unless you're a person that gives up or retreats or reacts in anger or wants vengeance. Let me, let me give you another example. December the 7th, 1941. Some people say that was a defining moment for this country. Anybody, what happened that day? Pearl Harbor. After, that was not a defining moment. December 7th, the attack on Pearl Harbor was not the defining moment for our country. It was the next day. It was the next day, and and, and I I don't know how you feel about, you know, I don't want to be, have a political speech here today, so I I don't know how you feel about Roosevelt. Don't care how you feel about Roosevelt. Let me tell you, on December 8th, 1941, he was the man, because the next day he stood before the joint sessions of Congress, both houses of Congress, and he said, yesterday, what happened? That's a day, he, he called the date December the 7th, 1941. He said, it is a day that will live in infamy. What he did is he changed. This whole country was thinking about about how horrible this thing was that happened to us yesterday. But he stood up and and what that said to us is we got a crippled president who is saying we will not be defined by what happened yesterday. We're going to be defined by how we have resolved ourselves to beat this enemy. They will not, this enemy wanted to, wanted to rule the Pacific, wanted to rule even in America. There were some, there were some amazing quotes that, that we found out about what they were we're planning to do their 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 plans of ruling in America, and our crippled president said, "We will not be defined by that. What happened yesterday? This will that day will live in infamy. But it is our resolve. It is our unity. It is our decision. We're getting off of our rear end, and we will do whatever it takes to defeat the enemy that attacked us yesterday. And so you get to decide. Defining moments don't happen to you; they are opportunities for you to define." who you are and what your future will be. Did you get that? Can we read it again? A defining moment is not something that happens to you. It is the opportunity to define yourself and your future. So when these things happen to us, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not who we are. You know, somebody that they get knocked down and you know, if they stay down, then yeah, we're going to say, well, that's the guy that got knocked down in life, you know, and he never, never made anything out of himself. That wasn't God's plan. When you get knocked down, you get up, then you're remembered as the guy that got knocked down and you got up. Whatever the thing was that knocked you down. You're the guy that, that dealt with this, but you got up. Or you're, you're the woman who's, whose husband has left her, and now you're a single parent trying to raise several kids, and, and you don't have enough income, and you work as many jobs as you can to do what you can, and you have to, that, that, now that's what you're, you're not remembered as the woman who lost her husband, as the woman who, who, is, who has fallen apart in the struggle. You're remembered as the woman who got back up off of, the, of being knocked down and, dec- and decided that you were going to do something with your your life. And that's what you're remembered by. Those are what defining moments are. What we make of them. And I keep seeing, I keep seeing Connor's face every time I turn around there, man, Connor, you know, he's, he's been through boot camp and now been in his training. I tell you, he could preach part of this message right here, right now. I'm sure. Because it's not about what has happened. It's about what you decide to do now that it has happened. What are you going to do with it? 
Now, Moses had a lot of defining moments in his life. I want to talk to you about three of them this morning as quickly as I can. The very first one happened at the beginning of his life. He didn't even know it was happening, okay? So now you're kind of thinking, well, then how can he respond to it? Well, he does, okay? So let me show it to you. This is in Exodus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. Uh, his mom, when, when he is born, she hides him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child Moses in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. All right. Let me give you some background right here. The Israelites are living, the Jews, they're living in, in Egypt. They are slaves. They are slaves. You know what slaves are, right? I mean, we have our own history here. And we, 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 you know, we, we went to the horror of what we've seen happen even in our history, in our country. Same kind of things were happening there. They were oppressed. And, I, I, you know, when you say slaves are oppressed, it sounds like, you know, a redundancy. But they were oppressed. I mean, they were beaten. They were, they were treated. They weren't even maybe second-class citizens. Maybe they were uncitizens or non-citizens or whatever. And there, there came to be a fear in the Egyptians because God continued to bless them even though they were in slavery. And they began to grow into a huge nation. And the Egyptians got scared, and so Pharaoh, he, he started talking to the midwives, and he told the midwives of the Hebrews, he said, when there is a male child born to a Hebrew woman, kill it right then. Don't, don't even let her know it was born alive. Well, they refused to do this. You know, they, they made up some excuses, said, well, you know, the, the, the Hebrew women, their, their kids are born just so strong, you know, we can't even kill them. You know, they're, they're, they're just so strong. It's just being possible they know they're alive. And so Pharaoh then issued a, a decree, an edict that, that said, whenever a, a male child is born to a Hebrew, take that child and throw it into the Nile River. Okay, so now, now what you read just a few moments ago right there, that kind of, uh, you know, sounds kind of strange that she would put her child in a basket and put it in the Nile River, but that was going to be his fate. But what she did is she prepared, she hid him as long as she could. When she couldn't anymore, she made a little boat for him, a little basket, and put it in the river and had her, had her older daughter, Moses' older sister, watch over it. And she put it there. And so what she was doing is she was taking care of it. But then look what God did. God put Pharaoh's daughter right there to find Moses. And she takes, Pharaoh, she takes Moses into her house and raises Moses as her own son. So now that you've got the background, how did Moses respond? A defining moment? I think the defining moment was how he responded. Because for the next 40 years, he lived as a son of the palace. He didn't live as a Jew. He didn't live as a Hebrew. He didn't live as a slave. He was born a slave, but he didn't live as a slave. By all accounts... Moses took full advantage of being in the palace. Took full advantage of it. So what do the Hebrews have now? I mean, let's go to our, our next slide and, and the next one as well. They, got, they were in slavery, oppression, fear, infanticide. And now God has sent them a leader to deliver them and he's totally oblivious to what's going on in their life. Totally oblivious. You know, and some of you know that that's one of my pet peeves, oblivious people, Right? I mean, all the way home from, uh, we were in the mountains this week, and all the way home on Friday, I, had, I was following oblivious people in the left lane. People who were oblivious to the fact that they were driving under the speed limit, and there, were, there was a line of cars behind them wanting to get home, you know? Obli ir irritated. Moses was one of those. Oblivious. 
Because I, I, know, I know we can say, well, Moses did this. Yes, he did. One day, finally. Okay, we're going to get there in a minute. But for the first 40 years of his life, we know that from the book of Acts. We know that from uh, the, Stephen. In the book of Acts, we know he said that, that Moses was 40 years old when the, when the next thing happens to him. We'll talk about it in a moment. So, but for 40 years, he lived in a palace totally oblivious to, to the whole thing going on with his people. He didn't know. And, 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 and I, I know some say, well, but what could he do? He was Josephus, uh, the, the historian from hundreds of years ago. Josephus wrote uh, that, that uh, Pharaoh's daughter took Moses back to Pharaoh and says, I want to make him my heir. Now, Moses was never going to be Pharaoh, but he was, going to, he was going to inherit the things of the palace. So here we have Moses, who, born, born a Jew, so born a slave, born to be an oppression. Born really to be thrown into the Nile, but God has preserved him and he, and he brings him to the palace. And, and, and it's like Moses just kind of, you know, just kind of relaxes that because we never see any time that Moses, I mean, it's not recorded in, in, in any history. It's not recorded by Joseph. It's not recorded in the Bible where he tried to do anything to make life easier on the Israelites. We don't have any record that he ever really connected with them on their level for 40 years. And here's the thought I had. You know, God did not bring Moses to the palace to have tea with the queen. That's not why he brought Moses. He didn't bring him to the palace so he could have tea and crumpets. I don't know, that's something just stuck in my head for the past few weeks. Something uh, Brooklyn, our granddaughter, has been saying tea and crumpets or something. You know, tea and crumpets. I mean, that's not why God brought him there. God brought him there because he was the one that was going to deliver his people out of slavery and oppression and break the chains and get them out and, and take them to that promised land that God had promised called Palestine. We call Palestine today. This is who, who God was going to, to use for this. And so he brings in the palace and, and, and Moses just kind of enjoys palace life. I mean, yeah, there, there's some stuff written about him, how he fought battles and, and he was involved with that, but never does anything for them. But you know what? You and I, we were brought into an even greater palace than Pharaoh's. And yet we do the same thing. Is we fail to see the hurting. I remember about 20 years ago, somebody said this to me. And then I remember it was resurrected in my mind when, when Katrina hit. I remember where, where we were serving in, in Texas. And I, I remember when all that happened. And I thought the exact same thing again is we begin to see horrible things happen in the world. And we, we see it on the news, you know, and we see these things happening. And then what do we do? We just... Say, oh, we don't watch, and we turn it off and go back to our roast beef and mashed potatoes. We just put ourselves in a place where we don't have to deal with it. That's where Moses was. So, yeah, I'm getting on Moses today, but I'm getting on us too. And we need to make this a prayer God, make us see the hurting again. Make us see the hurting again. Make us no longer able to just walk blindly through life as if it's just tea and crumpets and we're just here to enjoy it. Now, you do get what I'm talking about. This is a euphemism, right? Tea and crumpets for the blessings of God. There, yes, there is tea. It's awesome. Yes, there are crumpets. There are amazing blessings in the palace of God. But he didn't bring us here just so we could sit and get fat on the tea and crumpets. He brought us here to find the tea and crumpets, the blessings, so that we could take to a world that is hurting, that is dying, that is falling apart. That's what God called it. He didn't, he didn't call us to be, to be saved just so we could get fat on his blessings, but he called us to take the blessings to somebody else. And Moses wasn't getting it, so God had to bring him to another 
defining moment. And this is later in the same chapter, in verse 10, and, and I, I told, or verse 11, and I told you that uh, Stephen said that, that Moses was 40 years old. Here it says, when Moses had grown up, Stephen says he's 40. So that's, that's pretty grown, right? Moses went out to visit his people, the Hebrews, and he saw how they were forced to do hard labor. Now, I don't know, you know, we don't have a lot written there. I mean, we, we were just in verse five a second ago. Now we're in verse 11. So there's not a lot written there of these first 40 years of Moses' life. But when I read that verse, it sounds like Moses finally goes out and checks on his people for the first time at 40 years old and finds out they're having to do hard labor. That's what it looks like. You know, and, and maybe, maybe he has noticed it before, but now he really notices it. Okay, and, and also he even saw an Egyptian kill a Hebrew, one of Moses, that, those Hebrews, that, that's who he is. He's one of them, one of Moses' own people. Moses looked all around. When he saw that no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian and he hid his body in the sand. He killed the Egyptian and hid his body. We don't have time to talk about all the criminology of, uh, of, of whether this was right or wrong, whether this was murder, whether this was uh, self-defense or defending the, the Jews or vengeance or, 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 or we don't have time. And that was a totally different era, totally different society. But I, I can tell you this about the whole thing is that, is that uh, the Jews were these non-citizens, right? They were property. You know, they were nothing more than equipment being used. So for Moses to kill an Egyptian who has killed a piece of property, that would be like you going to work and when one of the, your coworkers breaks something at the office or wherever, you go kill them because they broke a piece of equipment. That's the way they looked at it. Is the Egyptian just killed a piece of property. So Moses, no matter what all the rest of the criminology would be about it, no matter what that was, Moses killed an Egyptian. He killed an, an Egyptian. I believe, first of all, that God orchestrated, just as he orchestrated Pharaoh's daughter to be there when the basket came floating by, I believe he orchestrated that Moses would see and would witness this beating and this killing, this incident. And I wonder... As I said, we need to pray just a few minutes ago. I wonder if God hasn't tried to do the same thing for us. Let us make this again, make this our prayer that he said, I'm praying that over you. You know, some people don't want pastor to pray some things over them. I'm praying this over you. I'm praying that God doesn't let you just sit in your palace, that he doesn't let you just enjoy the tea and the crumpets that are, being, that are just flowing and flowing and flowing, the blessings of God that are coming. I'm praying he does not allow you to do that. I believe God put him there for him to not just see that, yes, they're slaves, Moses. Yes, they have to work, Moses, but to see the real oppression and the beatings and the death that was happening. And so what God did was he totally stripped away the facades that Moses had put over to his face to maybe believe that, yes, I know they're, they're slaves, but, you know, but you know, some way they're going to make it through life or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it was that Moses was able to tell himself. I don't know what it is that we're able to tell ourselves sometimes. Mm. How we can sit and know that there is a world that is lost, dying, going to hell, and yet all we're concerned about is our things and our stuff. God, strip it away today. Strip it away. But look what happened to Moses. When Moses did this, the next day he realized everybody knew and he had to run. He was guilty of a crime, of some crime, murder or just whatever it was. He was good and he had to run. And when he ran, now, now, now we, we got to recognize this, that Moses has pretty much been dead to the Jews ever since he was three months old because he's been living in the palace. 
But now he's run miles, miles, hours away. He is farther away. The people that God sent him to deliver, he is farther away from them than he's ever been. And so looking at this, they say, wow, man, now this, boy, this thing's over now, you know? I mean, he is, he is now farther away from them than he has ever been. He is no, not anywhere near, at least when he was in the palace. And so it looks like, it looks like this whole thing is, this thing is just a bust now. It ain't going to happen anymore. Let me tell you this. Be careful you do not judge a beginning to be an end. Be careful that you do not judge a beginning to be an end. And we do, boy, we do that. In this culture, this society, something little, some little bad thing happens to us and we just want to throw up our hands and quit. Well, it's over for me. 14 years old and my girlfriend and my boyfriend breaks up with me and I'll never have love again. You're snickering because you're older than that and you know there's going to be a whole lot more disappointments than that, you know, and you just need to buckle up, buddy. If that's what's rocking your world, buckle up because it ain't getting any easier. I mean, it's going to get rough, you know, and so but we get those things and okay, maybe we're not 14 anymore. Maybe we're not, you know, quite that bad with those things, but we're not bad with other things. If I had time, I'd stop here and I'd talk about the drama in people's lives. And how we just blow it out of proportion. Like, oh, my whole world is turned upside down. It's only turned upside down if you allow it to be turned upside down because your God is still king on the throne of that palace that you are, that you are a part of. He is still there and he is still in charge. And it's how you respond to what comes against you. So we, you need quit calling God's beginnings endings because it ain't over for Moses. It ain't over for Moses. And it ain't over for you. And I know some of you are having a hard time believing this, that, 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 that it's not over for me. Because you're thinking, I, I screwed up. I have so royally fouled my life up, there's no way God could ever use me. There are some people sitting here, that's what they believe. They're just, they're just struggling that God could even give them grace. And now, you know, now I can't even believe the grace. I mean, I'm having a hard time with that. that. God would forgive me. And now you're telling me, preacher, that he wants me to... Be a hero. God wants, yeah, God wants you to be a hero. Regardless of how much you've messed up, regardless of how far you've gone, regardless of how many times you have blown it. He wants you to be a hero. Or, or maybe you're like Moses, you say, well, I've, I've, I've run now from my calling. Or like Jonah a few weeks ago, I've run from my calling, my place in, you know, in his kingdom. And so, I mean, you know, it's, that ship sailed. I mean, I'm so far away from God now and far away from what he wants me to do. Title of this message is The Return. God's bringing you back. And He's bringing you back for a purpose. He's bringing you back for a purpose. You have it in you. You have it in you. God wants to use you to deliver. So stop calling. You know, see what, what, what was happening. I didn't give you that point there, but what I see was this was a beginning, it was a revelation. Because when God pulled the palace out of Moses, Moses, I'm, Moses was going to inherit something in the palace. I don't know what his mom was in charge of. But he was going to inherit. He had some stuff. And God just ripped that out of his hand. When, when, I believe God put him in a place where that's just going to be wiped away. You, you're not going to have that anymore. And when he did that, what God started doing is finally revealing. Because now Moses didn't have the palace anymore. Now Moses had to look at life for real. And when he looked at life for real... He, I don't have the palace anymore. And God now can begin to reveal to him who you are. If you get too comfortable in the palace, I, I've seen it time and time again. 
If you get too comfortable in the palace, God will take the palace away from you to remind you what it is he's called you to do and be. And he did that to Moses. And I see the revelation that is beginning here now. Now Moses, I, I remember somebody, I don't remember who said this, he's, but he said, you know, Moses spends 40 years watching the sheep of his father-in-law. Somebody said Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody in the palace. 40 years on the backside of the desert thinking he is a nobody. But then he spent his last years learning that God can use nobodies. So your ending to where you become the nobody is probably the beginning of when God can start using you. And God's ready for you to step up. Last, last verse right here. And this, uh, this is in chapter three, three verses. And Moses is watching these sheep and he sees a bush that's burning. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him and the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So, so Moses had to go over and see this bush. I mean, I got to see this thing. And when he gets over there, God starts talking to him and God says in verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Okay, so here, here's, here's the thing is, is that you're saying, who am I? You're trying to tell me I'm a hero. Who am I to be a hero? I'll tell you who you are. You're the one God called. That's what Moses was saying. God had called Moses. And Moses is still at 80 years old. Okay, we know this. He is 80 years old now. And he is still like, who am I? I'm a nobody. God called you. You're the one. You're the deliverer that God promised. And Moses still doesn't get it. He doesn't see it. And some of you are still sitting here because of your past, because of your mistakes, because you've chosen other things, because you've let things go, because you got knocked down on your rear end and you sat there too long and you're thinking, well, who am I? Let me tell you who you are. You are God's call. When he was three months old, God took care of him by giving him a mom with a plan. And then he put Pharaoh's daughter right there to rescue him out of the water. Anybody else that would have rescued him would have had to throw him into the water and let him drown and be eaten by the crocodiles of the Nile River. But Pharaoh's daughter had the power to save him and put him in a good place. That was God. Some of you, some of you, you look back and you say, I, you don't even know how. Some of you shouldn't even be alive today. Amen. Some of you shouldn't be alive today. And you look back and you say, how in the world? I don't, I don't see how I've made it this far. And their only explanation is, is that God was there. Giving you people around you with plans, with prayers. And putting people that, that had uh, ability to take care of you for a while. And that all along, and, and there's not many of you here today that are over 80 years old. So there's not many of you here today that can use the excuse of saying, but I'm too old because Moses was 80 years old when he finally got it that God had called him to be the hero. And so no matter wh what you've done, God's speaking that to you and he's, he's provided for you all this time. And you're saying, I, I don't, I, I, who am I? I'm, you are the one. You can look back through your own personal history and see the multitude of times that God has protected you has held you, has kept you in a place that now you can be the hero. Now you can be the hero. But here, here's the bad part of this part of the story. That Moses was now hiding for the last 40 years watching sheep. 
So what's been happening over in Egypt for the last 40 years? In Goshen, where the Jews lived. They've still been in slavery for 40 more years. His people have still been oppressed. His brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, his parents, we don't know anything about his parents at this point. They've probably died in slavery. In the 40 years that Moses lived in the palace or the 40 years that he was hiding on the backside of the desert watching somebody else's sheep, Israel was still oppressed. So here's the question. I've been jumping all over Moses today, but I'm going to jump on us right here for just a moment. Is anyone waiting on me to return to my place of calling? Is there somebody that is enslaved, enslaved today, that is in bondage today, that is struggling today because I'm not yet in my place? If you're a dad, if you're a husband, and you're not in your place, I can guarantee you, yes, somebody's waiting on you. Get in their place. Thank you for that amen. Somebody's waiting on us. So ask, that, ask yourself, is anyone waiting on me to return to my place of calling? Yes, yeah, somebody is. Somebody's been waiting on me while I've been playing around, while I've been getting fat on tea and crumpets. Some, somebody's not. Somebody, some, somebody out there has been waiting on me. It's time for us to step back into our place of calling. You're a hero. You're a hero. Can I ask you to do something for me? Would you join me at the front? If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. And if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you join us. We'd love to have you join us. God destined you to be a hero. How do I know it? Because he says that. He's called you. You, you have something amazing, something awesome to do for him. And he knows you better than anybody because he created you. And if he created you, he knows the hero that's inside of you. And some of you are covering it up on purpose and you say, well, I'm just shy or whatever. No, you still... There are shy heroes. Moses was a shy hero. Go back and read the story. He didn't want to do it. I'm slow of speech. Who am I? I'm a nobody. I can't go talk to Pharaoh. There was a new Pharaoh now. I can't go talk to him either. Had all kinds of excuses, but God has destined you to be a hero. He created you to be that. And I'm just praying that in your next defining moment, that it is something that just opens it up gets rid of the facades for you to say, yes, I'm a hero. Somebody's got to step up here. Dad, husbands, it's our job first. Wives, moms, fall in right behind. Guys, if, if you're living in a place that you don't have a, 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 a Christian mom or dad, I'm sorry, you got to jump up and do it yourself. If you're a, if you're a lady that is married and, and your husband is not a Christian, I'm sorry, you got to jump up and do it yourself. But somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it because someone is struggling. Someone around you needs a hero. 
somebody to believe in them, somebody to pour into them, somebody to say the, say the right words, say, somebody to challenge them, somebody to pray the right prayer, somebody to be like Moses' mom and have a plan of how I'm going to preserve my kids. Somebody's got to be that hero. Moses returned to Egypt finally, 80 years old, and he returned as a hero. He returned as a... I believe he was oblivious for 40 years. I believe he was hiding for 40 years. But then he finally returned as a hero. And all of these things, this is, on the, uh, this is on the Sunday's page. I really challenge you. You're called to be a hero. I challenge you to let this be your Bible study one day this week. Uh, all but those last two statements have scriptures there where you can click on and you can go to a specific story that supports that. When I was, when, when I was writing this out, putting this list together, I thought, Wow. You know, you look at those things. We create our own heroes. You know, like superheroes, you know, the movies that we have, you know, and, and, and comic books and things. We create our, our superheroes based on Moses. Look at that. If you think about those things, I don't know, yeah, there's, there's one or two, you know, like Tony Stark's with a bad attitude, egotistical and all that kind of thing. But for the most part, you know, ask, ask somebody that looks nerdy and they'll explain Tony Stark, okay? Uh, but for the most part, especially Superman, I mean, you just look at the characteristics and the traits. We built, this is what a hero is to us. It's not somebody that's got it all together. Moses was never perfect. Matter of fact, most of his life he was imperfect. And he, he, even, and there's one, one thing up there I know that some people are going to say, now, you said this about him, but I remember that one time. Thank God that people don't judge me as harsh as we judge Moses for that one time he messed up in the wilderness that we know of, you know, right? Come on. None of us are perfect, but we just have to accept that God has made us a hero. And, and here, listen, if you're, if you're sick in body, if you've got a financial need or, or anything in your life, your marriage, whatever, we want to pray with you. We're here, okay? Always. That, 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 if I don't ever say that, these guys here, they've been waiting to pray for you. They want to pray with you, whatever your needs are. But Here's a, a specific one on top of those. Those are every week. Here's a specific one. If you've got a place in your life that you need to be a hero, there is somebody in your life that you need to be a hero for, then I invite you to come. Let me or one of these prayer team members hold hands with you. Just, just a good brother handshake or sister handshake because the Word of God says we're to agree concerning anything. It shall be done to my Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. And let us just agree with you because some of you ladies need to be the hero for your husbands that aren't saved. And you're saying, how can I do that? Exactly. Let's pray, because God's got a plan. Some, some of you dads, you're trying to figure out how you're going to hold your family together. How are you going to feed them? You ain't got a plan? Exactly. Let's pray. God helps you to become the hero that you're supposed to be. But I've messed up. Okay, yeah, sin and all that. Yeah, all, all the mistakes. And your family's seen those mistakes. And your friends and your coworkers, they've seen those mistakes. How in the world am I ever going to be a hero to them? Moses had the same problem. When he went back, people remembered he killed that Egyptian. And, and so he had the same problem. And so you're saying, but I don't know. Exactly, you don't know how. So come on, let us agree together that the God who has already created inside of you a hero is going to bring that hero out. And let you be. Would, would you let us pray that? Come on, somebody be the hero and step forward today. Bow with me if you will.